0: so happy to have you here here we are wow it's it's nighttime
1: yeah it's a it's a light one today
0: yeah this is perhaps the latest one we've ever recorded
1: it's called procrastination
0: procrastinators unite wow wow well welcome welcome to 2022 baby i love it wow we hope that you made it through the new year safely spectacularly sparkly Mm -hmm. sparkly spookily
1: mostly that one i think
0: mostly that one yeah and that you are just uh you are putting all of your manifestations out into the universe and the universe is bringing you nothing but kindness joy love
1: and pierogies
0: oh man and some pierogies would be good too Mm -hmm. what do you call them poochies
1: no that's the donut for oh like Lenten.
0: Padogins Padogans. That's what you call. Polish people are weird. It's a dude. regional
1: thing. I don't know.
0: Oh, excuse me. Yeah.
1: We're just. It's basically Yiddish except not Jewish. <laughs> you know?
0: Interesting. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well. Your
1: you're Schmeckle.
0: <laughs> you got a freckle on your schmuckle, my baby. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I love it. Anyway, well, we're not going to be talking about Schmeckles today. Well, I'm not. Maybe you are. Um...
1: There could potentially be Schmeckles oh, man. in the story.
0: It sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Well, it's fitting because we're going to an island nation. Oh. So we could just dive right in.
0: Let's just kaploosh right in there.
1: All right. So today I'm up first. Whoa. And I'm going to be telling you a very actually depressing story. Oh, good. So, sorry. And... um Prepare for that. It's
0: fine. I'll um, forward to it.
1: Some people might know this because it actually took place somewhat recently. Um, I got all of my information from The Guardian, an article by J. Oliver Conroy, a Washington Post article by Annie Gowen, CNN article wow. by Darren Simon and Chris Boyette, and an NPR All Things Considered segment.
0: Oh my gosh, you're you're sprinkling that NPR in.
1: Yeah, this is a this is a big one.
0: That's how you know it's going to be a good one too.
1: Yeah. So today I'm going to be talking about the tragedy of North Sentinel Island.
0: Well, I look forward to this because I have no clue what it is. Nice. As someone who doesn't know anything about the news.
1: Well, starting off, I have a really nice picture of it. Okay, thank you. So this is North Sentinel Island. Um, it is one of the andaman islands which is an indian archipelago and the bay of bengal which also includes south sentinel island okay it is home to the sentinelese an indigenous people in voluntary isolation who have defended often by force their protected isolation from the outside world
0: Oh, that's lovely
1: yeah i actually have a picture of them doing exactly that
0: oh wow you're not messing around
1: it is straight up a dude With a bow and an arrow shooting at the helicopter.
0: That's fine.
1: That's taking the picture. Okay. Yeah.
0: You know, I I respect it. But
1: like, fair, right? Sure. You You do you. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of background here on the island itself. The Andaman and Nicobar Islands Protection of Aboriginal Tribes Act of 1956 prohibits travel to the island and any approach closer than five nautical miles or 9.26 kilometers mm-hmm. in order to prevent the resident tribes, people from contracting diseases to which they have no acquired immunity.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And then the area around it is patrolled by the Indian Navy. Mm-hmm. So they're protecting these people from outsiders. Um, nominally the island belongs to the mm-hmm. South Andaman administrative district, part of the Indian union ter- territory of Andaman and Nicobar islands. So they're known like collectively together um in practice indian authorities recognize the islanders desire to be left alone and restrict restrict their own role to remote monitoring um kind of like what we saw they do not prosec basically they also do not prosecute them for killing people on the island mm-hmm. so like any of the tribes people on the island like you know if they have fights or if they have i don't know rituals sure. or you know practices, things like that. They don't prosecute them for killing.
0: I just think to know that there are still places in this world that are so. I don't want to say untainted. There's there's got to be a different word than untainted, but that modern yeah. practices have not They're influenced untouched, them. Untouched. Yeah. Untouched. It just it blows my mind. Yeah. It's um. It's very interesting, mm-hmm. but I also respect it. Yeah, but I can't believe it. Anyway, Carrie, it is kind of crazy. Yeah,
1: um, the island is known as a protected protected area of India, um, and in 2018, the government of India excluded 29 islands, including North Sentinel, from the restricted area permit regime, in a major effort to boost tourism. So. Mm-hmm. In November 2018, the government's home ministry stated that the relaxation of the prohibition was intended to allow researchers and anthropologists with pre-approved clearance to go to these islands. Oh. So it's not really for tourism. Yeah. It's just for people to learn more about the culture. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the flora and fauna Ooh, of the area. Yes, please. Uh, the island is largely covered in tropical and subtropical moist broadleaf forests. Due to the lack of surveys, um, obviously, the exact composition of the terrestrial flora and fauna remain somewhat unknown. Um, In his his 1880 expedition to the island, Maurice Vidal Portman reported an open, park-like jungle with numerous groves of bulletwood trees, as well as huge buttressed specimens of Malabar silk cotton tree. Um, Indian boar are apparently found on the island and a major food source for the Sentinelese uh, with reports by Portman referring to a huge heap of pig skulls near a Sentinelese village. All right. Fair enough.
0: How else are you going to eat? Exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, The IUCN red list uh, lists North Sentinel Island as being an important habitat for coconut crabs which have been otherwise extirpated from most of the other Andaman islands aside from South Sentinel and Little Andaman. Mm. Uh, North Sentinel Island, along with South, is also considered a globally important bird area by BirdLife International, as despite the lack of surveys, the pristine habitat most likely supports the diversity of uh, bird life.
0: See, here's the thing. You're telling me all these nice things, and then I feel like you're going to just break my heart. No okay cool
1: well you'll see why okay i say that okay um we can talk about it after i explain it though
0: like i'm emotionally attached to these coconut crabs
1: that's fine okay continue to be that way
0: okay cool 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 yeah i'm fine if things happen to humans just not to
1: okay well then crabs. you're gonna love this
0: okay cool um
1: the, <laughs> so continuing with some of the biodiversity The marine life surrounding the island has also not been super well surveyed Mm. um, because it's hard for people to get close. Um, A large coral reef is known to circle the island, uh, which you can actually kind of see in that picture. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at it, all kind of the outskirts of it, you can see that there's a reef around the outside. Um, Mangroves are also known to fringe along its banks. Mm. Um, A 1999 report from divers near the island indicate that the reefs around the island were bleached in the 1998 El Nino, but had seen new growth uh, since then of coral. Sharks have allegedly also been seen in the waters off the island, um, and sea turtles likely also appear near the island, as Portman referred to them. Also, being a major food source for the Sentinelese, and one was cited on a 1999 survey of the surrounding waters. Mm. Dolphins have also been cited on the same survey. Okay. So, kind of sounds like a nice place, actually. Just people chilling, you know? Chillin'. <laughs> so, now I'm going to take a turn mm. and talk to you about what actually happened, the tragedy. That occurred on north central island
0: oh my god i after the last two years i'm I'm a little nervous
1: i feel like some people listening might remember this because i remember
0: really hearing
1: about this when it happened yeah
0: god i suck okay yeah (laughs) yeah
1: so moving on (laughs) we're not gonna address that no it's it's fine fine.
0: just go ahead
1: okay so i will give you a little bit of background Mm. John Allen Chow uh, was born December 18th, 1991, uh, was an American Christian missionary who was killed by the Sentinelese, a self-isolated, uncontacted people, after illegally traveling to North Sentinel Island in an attempt to preach Christianity among them.
0: Oh, no.
1: I have a picture of John
0: Oh, Justy Voss! This is what we're doing.
1: Yep, he's on a mission trip here in—I uh, want to say—the northwest of the United States. Oh man, to so like Oregon, Washington. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh no! All right! All right!
1: Do you do you remember hearing about this at all?
0: No, but I'm already really sad. Yeah. But, I, don't, I mean, it doesn't ring a bell at the moment.
1: Okay. I will preface this with like, I explained
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything about the island. Yeah, and now you know what happened. Yeah, and I'm going to continue to explain more.
0: Yep, I for I all respect. the context.
1: Yep, just so we're
0: mm-hmm. we
1: have as much information as we can get.
0: Yep, and we can have a constructive conversation maybe off of the microphone afterwards. But uh, okay, but no, I am, I am, I am on board.
1: I think this is terrifying. personally okay not for the reasons that some people might think all right all right so early life of john chow obviously he was born on december 18th 1991 in the u.s state of alabama the third and youngest child of linda adams chow an organizer for chai alpha which was the young adult christian fellowship Um, He was also born to Patrick Chow, a Chinese American psychiatrist who left China during the cultural revolution
0: Hmm.
1: throughout his childhood. um, John loved camping, hiking and traveling and excelled at various clubs, charity and other extracurricular activities. He admired numerous explorers and missionaries, including David Livingstone and Bruce Olson. He later attended Oral Roberts university in Oklahoma. Prior to his last journey to North Sentinel Island, Chow participated in missionary trips to Mexico, Iraqi Kurdistan and South Africa. He first traveled to the Andaman Islands in 2015 and 2016 as part of his missionary trips, but he did not visit North Sentinel Island on those trips.
0: Mm,
1: Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about his first contact with Sentinelese Mm. um, or some of his first contacts. So in 2017, During the year when Chow participated in boot camp missionary training by the Kansas city-based evangelical organization, All Nations, Chow reportedly expressed his interest in preaching to the Sentinelese. Chow then traveled to and established his residence at Port Blair, which is the capital city of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, Mm. um, in October 2018, where he prepared an initial contact kit, including picture cards for communication, gifts for the Sentinelese people, medical equipment, and other necessities. In November of 2018, Chow embarked on an expedition to North Sentinel Island, which he considered to be, quote unquote, Satan's last stronghold on earth, which he wrote in a journal keeping up with his actions with the aim of contacting and living among the Sentinelese. He expressed a strong desire to preach the gospel to the tribe. In preparation for the trip, Chow was vaccinated and quarantined and also undertook medical and linguistic training. However, he did not seek permission from the Indian authorities before embarking, making his trip illegal under Indian law. Hmm. As foreign citizens must obtain a permit to visit the Andaman and Nicobar islands with no visitors being allowed on North Sentinel. Mm -hmm. Instead, Chow paid two fishermen, uh, the equivalent of 335 US dollars to take him close to the island. The fishermen were later arrested huh. for helping him. Wow. Yep. So, in another visit, because he originally he went with these fishermen to get him close mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to quite fully get to the island yet. On a later trip, he paddled a kayak from the boat To the island and attempted to communicate with the Sentinelese upon their first contact. Quote, My name is John, unquote. He hollered when he spotted some Sentinelese men on shore. I love you and Jesus loves you. Jesus Christ gave me authority to come to you. He then left the gifts and retreated when the villagers began stringing their bows. He later paddled back to the island and walked up to the beach, this time while attempting to communicate with the natives again chow abandoned his kayak and swam back to the boat in panic when one of the villagers shot an arrow at him and struck the bible that he was holding on to on november 16th the date when chow was last seen alive he asked the fisherman to drop him off alone on the island after thinking that the sentinelese might feel more comfortable if they did not see the foreign fishing boat nearby prior to being left alone on the island In his final journal entry, Chow left instructions with the fisherman for contacting his friends, family, and colleagues. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, he said, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Subsequently, Chow was killed by the Sentinelese. The fishermen who had ferried him later observed Sentinelese tribesmen dragging a body along the beach and burying it despite efforts by Indian authorities which involved a tense encounter with the tribe Chow's body was never recovered Hmm. Indian officials made several attempts to recover his body but eventually abandoned those efforts an anthropologist involved in the case told the Guardian that the risk of a dangerous clash between investigators and the Islanders was too great to justify any further attempts wow Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so. Oh boy, oh. I'm not completely done yet. I, I have some some other information that I still would like to talk about. Um, but that is the basis. Mm-hmm. That is the base tragedy yeah. that occurred on North Sentinel Island.
0: Oh, God.
1: I can't believe you don't remember hearing about
0: this. No, I don't.
1: That's. I guess it was like 2018. We probably heard early 2019.
0: Yeah. I was in Syracuse at that time. So yeah. it was just like a dark time of my life.
1: Oh. Yeah. I definitely remember reading and hearing about this. Really? It, yeah. This was like crazy news coverage.
0: No, I don't remember this. I mean,
1: there's a CNN article about it. Sure. NPR. Like, this was big news.
0: I don't know how to say the right things.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: I don't know what the right things to say are. Correct. so Mm -hmm. can i i'm just gonna say because i've already had i've already had you know a a few seconds to kind of just process my thoughts Mm -hmm. i am conflicted because first and foremost a life was taken right okay like i do i do not want to negate that like a life was taken
1: right that's and that's why i wanted to make this Make sure that people knew. Yeah. I wanted this to be called a tragedy. Yeah. Because it really was. Yeah. It was very sad.
0: Yeah, definitely. He looks like a very nice man. Yeah. He believed he was, in what he was doing.
1: Exactly. He was doing a lot of good as he believed it. Yeah. And that's great.
0: That is great. And. Uh, I think that there's there's what I personally believe.
1: Mm-hmm
0: about ministry work that I feel like will not be a popular opinion mm-hmm. and then there's also the facts that you told us at the beginning of yeah. again this is a protected area he 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 broke the law
1: well that's just it
0: exactly that
1: he broke an Indian law yeah and he went there completely illegally mm-hmm. Um. So, in essence, he kind of gave himself up to yeah. the, the whims and the culture yeah. of the people there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so difficult.
1: Yeah, it is. <sighs>
0: yeah. Uh, I just, okay, fine. I'm just going to say because why not? It's, here okay. we are. So, Justin, as you know, I grew up in a Christian-ish household same K- yeah yeah um and i again i i respect what people do you do you if you mm-hmm. are being kind mm-hmm. i remember i got to a certain point of my religious experience i would say around the 8th grade area where for the youth group mission trips were something that was really encouraged you know we yeah would,
1: i do remember that time yeah
0: around the time there was um the was Janssen, missouri there was a really awful tornado that happened in missouri Should
1: I, feel sorry? I don't i don't remember
0: okay there's some really awful tornadoes some storms you know the thing, natural disasters that happen every single year in the yeah. u.s and The whole concept is, is that, you know, you, you pile these kiddos up on a bus and then you drive down and you help and you're doing, you know, like Habitat for Humanity kind of stuff. You're helping rebuild. Yeah. I mean. Yes. Yes. Uh, No, please. Like
1: people will go to, you know, a a lot of the time you hear groups go to Central America. Yes. And they will build a house. They'll build a school. Yeah. Things like that. Yes. Yeah.
0: I love that.
1: I like the humanitarian aspect.
0: Yes. But. I don't want to go and tell someone else that what I believe is the way and the truth and the only truth.
1: And anything that they currently believe is wrong.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, I get so conflicted with that. And for that reason, that was when I started to have my shift in my religious beliefs, Mm -hmm. because I remember specifically being like, but, but there's other other people that believe other things why is what i believe the only thing that is correct right and i i'm not someone that feels very comfortable telling other people that my beliefs on anything are correct i believe my music taste is exquisite and that's about the only thing that i will be like i am right oh well yeah you know and then for other times though like like, i want to hear people i want to hear what they believe and so especially in this when when he was saying that the sentinel island was satan's last it was, hold on yeah, earth the and last like,
1: stronghold on earth that are you kidding one me? line he and this is it was written in his journal there is it existed proof he wrote mm. this yeah
0: that makes me so uncomfortable
1: that's a lot to have to say about a culture you don't understand yes yeah
0: you know and i i hate to think this but it's like Dude, if you grew up in the US, and it doesn't even matter if you grew up in the US. If you know anything about world history, yeah. You know that basically every single war was started because of religious beliefs, of mm-hmm. people going into a country and and saying that they are correct yeah you have people coming over to the united states and telling indigenous persons that they were correct and killing people and
1: xenophobic yeah
0: it's oh my gosh i can just go off and rant upon rant Mm -hmm. and so again for for one person why did he have anybody with him
1: right like yeah
0: why did he not ask for for approval from the indian government i yeah and then again, the opposite side of me is like, I feel like I'm victim blaming. And I, oh my God, I'm just yeah. like, I'm so conflicted. Okay, I'm done.
1: No, I mean, that all makes sense. Um, <laughs> I do have a little bit more to kind of okay, you know, okay, okay, discuss okay. some of that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I obviously, of course, I don't want this to just be about bashing him because that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. And that's not what I'm trying to do. Sure. Um, I just want to inform yeah i don't want to bash him because that's not appropriate yeah um but yeah let me let me keep okay. going a little bit um we have kind of like the follow-up some okay. aftermath stuff so um chow was partly supported in his venture by all nations mm. that christian missionary agency that was based in kansas city missouri um, though the extent of his connection to the group is not completely clear mm. um, so Quote from Mary Ho, the agency's international executive leader. He was preparing for this mission to North Sentinel since he was about 18 years old, and he started even before he came to all nations. He got himself trained as a wilderness EMT and was trained in linguistics and cultural anthropology. It was his life's mission to go to the island and share the goodness of Jesus Christ. Ho did not describe any training Chow may have gotten that would have equipped him to deal with a hostile population whose language he did not understand without interpreters, a local guide, or assistance of any kind. She said, We trained him to do things like honor cultures and deal with culture shock. We trained him to share the message of the love of God in a culturally relevant and honoring manner. When asked repeatedly whether the agency knew of Chow's specific plans, Approved of them and felt comfortable with his intent to go alone. Ho declined to answer.
0: Mm.
1: So she said, we knew John Chow was extremely well prepared to face risk and that he was a very calm and stable person with a good head on his shoulders and a very good common sense. Um, yeah. I, I have to say it sounds like they are trying to deflect Um, and that seems, I feel comfortable bashing this group who didn't feel like they should do something about this to help him in any way, you know, clearly, apparently they know a lot about him wanting to do this and getting prepared for it, but they didn't actually interact with that preparation. Yeah. So you're culpable yes yeah, partially great. i have to feel um yeah so the story of chow's killing has been widely discussed on christian blogs and in evangelical circles mm-hmm. um so thomas kidd is a historian of religion at baylor university he says you certainly have cases in christian history where people basically went out alone you see examples of that with paul in the new testament But if it is true that Chow was just sitting out on his own and patently breaking the law, I think most Christians would say this is not the right way to go about missionary work. Kidd nevertheless emphasizes the importance of showing some respect for his evangelical efforts. Quote, for the people who believe that everyone should be reached and that this life is short and fleeting and ephemeral and that the most important thing is a person's eternal destiny, the mandate makes sense. You can understand their motivation for trying to spread their religious faith, even if you fundamentally don't agree with what they are doing. Hmm. Um, so the killing of Chow is reminiscent of an incident in, the, in Amazonian Ecuador in 1956 when five American missionaries were speared to death by a group of indigenous um, Waurani people shortly after the missionaries made contact with them. As with the Sentinelese, the Waorani tribes, people had minimal prior experience with outsiders and saw them as hostile. Mm. Um, Catherine long, a retired Wheaton college historian, um, who describes the Wanora incident in an, in a book, um, says the passion to reach Christ and a willingness to risk one's life to do that was evident in both missionary cases. Um, Catherine long nevertheless argues that mission work has evolved in the decades since the 1956 incident in part because missionaries have learned from the ecuadorian case Mm -hmm. people are more culturally or anthropologically anthropologically sensitive than they were at that time she says that's one of the things that perplexes me with mr chow it seems like he was repeating things that many missionaries have stopped doing for example he didn't know the language these people spoke That was one of the problems the missionaries had in 1956, but I think that missionaries today would not attempt to reach a group of isolated, violent people without trying to figure out some way to learn at least a little bit of the language and then have a broker or someone to help them bridge the gap, end quote. Advocacy groups for indigenous people go further, arguing generally that culturally isolated tribes should be left completely alone. Mm. Uh, Survival International, which is a London-based organization, has been pressing Indian police authorities to abandon any effort to retrieve Chow's body from the North Sentinel Beach, where it was apparently buried. Mr. Chow's body should be left alone, as should the Sentinelese. The group's president, Stephen Corey, said in his statement. Many Christian missionaries would likely disagree, however, with the notion that no effort should be made to reach out to previously uncontacted peoples. Uh, Catherine Long, again, says... The missionaries willing to do these things have enough passion for Christ that they see spreading Christianity as more important than preserving an unchanged culture. And that
0: mm.
1: is as full a story as I feel I can give on the tragedy of North Sentinel Island from 2018.
0: Bravo. <sighs> That was excellently done, Justin. Wow. And, wow. It's, this is a story that I feel like you could have endless conversations about. Because I do not believe that there is a right answer. Yeah. On who was in the fault, who was at fault, excuse me what should have been done what should be done exactly there's no there's nothing
1: yeah so of course at the end of this story like i promised i wanted to talk about what i find spooky about this yes because right now it's it's mostly just sad and um if you're racist i can see how it would be very scary but um that's not who we're doing this for so basically what i want to say i find really scary about this is the overzealous, dogmatic belief system That propels a person to violate social and cultural norms and laws just to get their point across. I think that's the part that scares me the most is that anybody could be willing to make multiple attempts to reach an island And show up more or less as a hostile, Mm. uninvited, and just feel that they deserved to push this on people who didn't ask for it. I think that's the part that really freaks me out about this, Yeah, is that he had no problem doing that. And I think that's kind of the part of missionary work where it starts to get a little dicey in my head. Yeah. Where it's the, you stop respecting people's culture and their own values and beliefs because all you care about is pushing your own. Yeah. Because like, where, where does, where, where's the line between this and the crusades.
0: Oh my Lord. From history. Yeah.
1: Like just killing people based on religion like you said. Yeah. Um So yeah, I I just think this is a really important story to hear about because of course John Chow is a victim. Yeah. But um I definitely wouldn't say the Sentinelese people are at fault. Yeah. That is definitely not what I'm trying to say and that's not what anybody's saying really. Mm-hmm. If anything, it was kind of his own fault. Yeah. Which really sucks.
0: It does really suck. Yeah. But it was um a different story, and one that really got me thinking. Yeah. And those are the best stories, in my opinions, the ones that when you when you leave, you're still thinking about them. Right. And. um... Yeah. This yeah. one.
1: This one gripped me. Um. I don't remember where it came up. I just saw somewhere. Sure. Today, when I was going through, I just, I heard about this interaction. I read about it just really quick in passing. And I was like, oh, man, I remember hearing about that when it happened. And I just kept looking into it. And man. Got you hooked. It's fascinating. Yeah.
0: Wow. So I'm glad you you covered it. Thank you. Thank you. Wow.
1: What do you got for us? not bad not that i hope not at this point
0: mine involves no no hurting of any sort except for pride and financial loss same oh
1: so let's just let's just let's get into this i'm really i'm really anticipating this
0: okay same actually so uh i told justin this earlier on today but i've been in a little bit of, of a rut just trying to figure out things that I I can be excited to talk about. And that is a 2022 thing that I'm working on uh, for my personal life, professional life, and for this podcast. I
1: mean, it's always hard,
0: you know, it can be hard sometimes. It can be, but for some reason, when I found this topic, I just found it so fascinating and I'm really excited to share it with you because it's something that I had never heard of. Um and I love me a good mystery.
1: Oh yes. So to, all the time.
0: I, I'm very pumped. So today, Justin, hmm. with the help of Smithsonian.com, Wikipedia, and Parade.com, I will be telling you about the mystery of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. What? Do you know anything about this?
1: I heard the word heist. <laughs> You got it. <laughs> also, baby. maybe there was a gardener in there somewhere, <laughs> and I like gardening. You so do like gardening?
0: Okay, cool, cool. All right, <laughs> great start. Oh my god. great start. Okay, well, strap on your boots because I got a freaking wild ride for you.
1: I'm my straps are booted. Let's let's go. <laughs> All
0: right, thank you, baby. <laughs> Okay, Justin, so today I will be talking about one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the 20th and now 21st century, Wow. a mystery so unsolved that I literally never heard about it until I researched this episode. Great. For today's episode, I'm going to take a step back and talk about the biggest art heist in modern history that from start to finish lasted just 81 minutes.
1: Wow. Pretty good.
0: All righty. So. I'm going to tell you a little bit of background, then we're going to go on deep, okay? Let's go. So at 1.24 a.m. on March 18th, 1990, two men dressed as police officers walked into the Boston's Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. They overpowered two unsuspecting, maybe, night security guards, then duct taped their victims to a pipe and a workbench in the museum basement where they were found the next morning. They heard, gentlemen, this is a robbery, the criminals announced as before tying them up. The pair proceeded to remove 13 treasured artworks on display in the lavishly decorated gallery, smashing the protective glass on two Rembrandt paintings and cutting the canvases from their gilded frames. No. Just over an hour later, the themes made off with a staggering collection of art that is valued today at $500 million. Whoa. Whoa. Despite a flurry of press attention and a $10 million reward from the art museum itself, wow. the stolen works have never been recovered. Never. Holy I crap. got goosebumps. Like, I don't know what is going <laughs> on with me, but for some reason, this just pumps me hey, up.
1: This is why everybody loves a heist story. Yes. How many movies? oh you know
0: oh my gosh well i we have
1: we have 13 oceans oh also 11 and 12 and 8 at this point so
0: (laughs) oh my gosh uh,
1: people love a good heist yes it's so fun to talk about
0: oh i love it i just love when things are just shown in such a meticulous way, and things that are not supposed to be gotten away with get away with, you know? Yeah. Ugh.
1: Yeah. All right. I love it.
0: Okay, so we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna, Hannah, calm down. Calm oh, down. Boy. Oh my god, I'm like, I'm getting like the nerdy tingles. Nice. Ooh. Nice. Okay, I'm like not even a huge art buff or anything. Like I, it's cute, <laughs> you're just a big heist fan. I'm just a, oh, I love a good heist. Yeah, oh, it's good. I love it. All right, so Justin, I have quite a few pictures to show you today. Great. So first and foremost, I'm going to show you what the beautiful Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, Massachusetts, looks like.
1: This is in Boston.
0: It's in Boston. I know.
1: This looks like it should be in like India.
0: Isn't that gorgeous? This is.
1: Amazing.
0: Uh, all right. So, I'm going to tell you wow. a little bit of background about this museum that I had never heard of. Holy crap. Okay. So, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was constructed under the guidance of art collector, you guessed it, Isabella Stewart Gardner, um, <sighs> who lived from 1840 to 1924 mm-hmm. to house her personal art collection, same, in the hope Great. that it would provide, quote unquote, for the education and enjoyment of the public forever. The museum opened to the public in 1903, and Gardner continued to expand the collection and arrange it until she died in 1924. Hmm. She left the museum with a $3.6 million endowment, which in 1924, (laughs) you know, during uh, the Great Depression, can't even imagine how much that was.
1: Big bazonga bucks.
0: Wait, I suppose the early 1920s was not the Depression yet that was
1: was right yeah it was right before
0: okay well still it's still
1: a lot of freaking money it's a
0: lot of money yeah
1: bazonga box
0: now here's the interesting part Mm -hmm. she made it clear crystal clear in her will that not a single arrangement of artwork could be or should be altered at any time even post post her death. Postmortem. Thank you. Postmortemly. And no items were to be sold or brought into the collection after she died. Well. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: I mean, it's a little selfish.
0: A little bit. And um, Museums. it's fine. And because of that, Justin, my dear, my dear listeners, by the 1980s, the museum was running low on funds.
1: Yeah, I would imagine.
0: This financial strain left the museum in poor condition. It lacked a climate control system and an insurance policy and was in need of basic building maintenance. After the Federal Bureau of Investigation uncovered a plot by Boston criminals to rob the museum in 1982, the museum allocated funds to improve security. Among these improvements were 60 infrared motion detectors and a closed circuit television system consisting of four cameras placed around the building's perimeter. So high tech. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. There were no cameras installed within as the board of trustees thought installing such equipment in the historical building uh, would be too expensive. Mm -hmm. More security guards were hired as well. However, despite these security improvements, the only way police could be summoned to the museum was with a button one button at the security desk oh
1: come on you're killing me
0: (laughs) other museums at the time had fail-safe systems which required night watchmen to make hourly phone calls to police to indicate all was well however this museum did not
1: and there's no climate control
0: and no climate control get me out of there boston in the summer goodbye no thanks an independent security consultant reviewed the museum's operations in 1988 and was determined they were on par with most other museums, but recommended improvements. The security director at the Fine Museum, uh, excuse me, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston also suggested security upgrades to the museum. Because of the museum's financial strain and Isabella Stewart Gardner's wishes against mm. any major renovations, the Board of Trustees did not approve the security enhancements.
1: Uh. Come on.
0: The board also denied a request from the security director for higher guard salaries and a bid to attract more qualified applicants for the job. Mm -hmm. The current guards were played slightly above um, minimum wage. And the security flaws in the museum were an open (sighs) secret among the guards and museum security flaws were common knowledge among Boston's criminal elite.
1: Oh, come on.
0: Making it a quote unquote sitting duck for a heist per the Guardian.
1: You're just asking for it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man
0: all right dude so now oh my god great now we're gonna talk about the actual event okay Mm -hmm. so we're just gonna go through and i'm just oh okay 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 oh my goodness okay great great cannot breathe okay so the robbery occurred in the early hours of sunday march 18th 1990. The thieves were first witnessed around 1230 a.m. by several St. Patrick's Patrick's Day uh, partiers leaving a party near the museum. Same. I mean, you got to go hard. Green beer. (laughs) You're talking about a city basically built by Irish people. Literally
1: the most, yeah, (laughs) the most Irish.
0: They're going to go hard. Yeah. The two men were disguised as police officers and parked in a hatchback on Palace Road, about 100 feet from the side entrance. The witnesses believed them to be policemen. The Museum guards on duty that night were Rick Abbott, age 23, and Randy Hestand, age 25. Abbott was a regular night watchman, and it was Hestand's first time on the night shift. The security policy maintained that one guard patrolled the galleries with a flashlight and walkie-talkie, while the other sat at the security desk. Abbott went on patrol first during his patrol fire alarms sounded off in different rooms in the museum, but he could not locate any fire or smoke. Mm. Abbott returned to the security room where the fire alarm control panel indicated smoke in multiple rooms. However, he assumed some type of malfunction and shut down the panel. He went back on patrol and before he completed his rounds, made a quick stop at the side entrance of the museum, briefly opening the side door and shutting it again. He did not tell Hestan he was doing this or why. This will come up again. Mm. Abbott completed his tour and returned to the security desk around 1 a.m., at which point uh, Hestan began his rounds. Mm -hmm. At 1.20 a.m., the thieves drove up the side entrance, parked, and walked up to the side door. They rang the buzzer, which connected them to Abbott through an intercom. They explained to Abbott that they were police investigating a disturbance and needed to be buzzed in. Abbott could see them on the closed-circuit television wearing what appeared to be real police uniforms. What? He was not aware of any disturbance, but theorized it was because of St. Patrick's Day. How did...
1: How, okay, you're probably going to answer this. How did the smoke alarms go off?
0: Great question.
1: What? Yep. Oh, this is crazy.
0: Okay. So then Abbott then let the men in at 124. The thieves were let into a locked foyer... Foyer? yeah,
1: Foyer. Foyer.
0: That separated the side door from the museum. They approached Abbott at his desk and asked if anyone else was with him and then to bring them down. Abbott then radioed uh, Hestand. Hestand. He, he stand, He stand. We're going go with he stand. Okay. He stand. Radioed he stand to return to the security desk. Abbott noticed around this time that the mustache and the taller man appeared to be fake.
1: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> come on
0: red flag baby
1: mustache (laughs) oh you're killing me oh my goodness
0: uh the shorter man told abbott that he looked familiar that they may have a warrant for his arrest and to come up from behind the desk and provide identification abbott complied stepping away from the desk where the only panic button to alert police real police was the shorter man then forced abbott against a wall spread his legs and handcuffed him abbott noticed that he was not frisked okay great well yeah yeah fine
1: Sm- the, yeah yeah you should be
0: yeah um he stand walked into the room around this time and the taller thief turned him around and handcuffed him once both guards were handcuffed the thieves revealed their true intentions oh. gentlemen this is a robbery no <laughs> um and asked the guards to not give them any problems the thieves wrapped duct tape around the hands and eyes of the guards Without asking for direction, they led the guards into the basement where they were handcuffed to a steam pipe and workbench. Very mysterious. Hmm. Uh, the thieves examined the wallets of the guards and explained that they knew where they lived and that to not tell authorities anything. And they would reward them in about a year.
1: Uh-oh. It took
0: the thieves about less or excuse me. It took the thieves less than 15 minutes to subdue the guards, giving the time approximately around 1.35 a.m. Okay okay i know I'm, th- I'm throwing a lot at you no but... this is great okay okay the thieves movement through the museum was recorded on the a brand new infrared motion detectors Wow. steps into the first room they entered the dutch or sorry so steps in the first room they entered known as the dutch room on the um and then sorry they went into the first room on the first floor the dutch room on the second floor and mm. um the Dutch room for some reason was not recorded until about 148. So saying that there was about 13 minutes of time after they subdued the guards to when they first entered their first room, oh. there was, there was a time yeah. period there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Perhaps maybe they were waiting to make sure that no police were alerted. Yeah. You know, They were just kind of waiting around to see if there were other security measures. Mm-hmm. But they waited about 13 minutes from the basement to going into their first room. Sorry, okay. I, com- I no. explained that very confusingly. I got it. Okay. So, as the thieves approached the paintings in the Dutch room, a device began beeping that would normally trip when a patron was too close to a painting. The thieves then smashed the device. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm going to be just... I'm just going to be telling you a lot of information about paintings. Just go with me. Okay.
1: I love paintings.
0: (laughs) They then took the storm of the sea of Galilee and a lady and gentleman in black and threw them on the marble floor, which shattered their glass frames. Using a blade, they cut the canvases out of their stretchers. They then also removed a large Rembrandt self-portrait oil painting from the wall, but left it leaning against a cabinet. Investigators believe they may have considered it too large to transport, potentially because it was painted on wood, not on a more durable canvas and a lighter uh, canvas than the others. Yeah. Instead, the thieves took a small postage stamp size self-portrait etching by Rembrandt on a display beneath a larger portrait. Okay. On the right side of the room, they removed landscape with obelisk and the concert from their frames. The final piece taken from the Dutch room was an ancient Chinese goo. Which I unfortunately did not look what that was. Let's let's look at what the Chinese goo. Um oh, okay. So a goo, and I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. A goo or can is a venom-based poison associated. No, that's not correct. I lied. <laughs> it is a I'm so sorry. It's an a <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Mm. It's a type of ancient Chinese ritual bronze vent vessel from the Shang or Zhao dynasties. It's a tall oh, and slender almost like vase looking thing Yeah, that has, a, it looks like a trumpet. So it has a trumpet oh. m- like base.
1: Okay.
0: I'm so sorry. Oh Great. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so they took that for some reason from the Dutch room at 1 AM. While one thief continued working in the Dutch room, the other entered a narrow hallway um, dubbed the short gallery on the other end of the second floor. The other thief then joined soon. In this fl- the in this room, they began removing screws for a frame displaying a Napoleonic flag. Mm-hmm. Though um, likely an effort to steal the said flag, they appeared to have given up partway, though as not all the screws were removed, and ultimately only took the exposed eagle, um, the metal part on top of a flag.
1: Oh yeah, it's
0: called a fin- finial finial.
1: Okay,
0: but it's the metal part on top of a flag. Yeah, they only took the eagle from the napoleon flag lame yeah um the last work stolen was the chez Tortoni from the blue room on the first floor um okay as they prepared to leave the thieves checked on the guards one last time and asked if they were comfortable Wow. Well, they then moved to the security director's office where they took the video cassettes that recorded their entrance on the closed cameras and the data printouts from the motion detecting equipment the movement data on the uh, the movement data was still captured on a hard drive, which remained untouched. The thieves then moved to take the artwork out of the museum through the side entrance doors. Um, these doors were opened at approximately 2:40 a.m. and again for the last time at 2:45 a.m. The robbery again lasted 81 minutes. Wow. The next shift of guards arrived later in the morning and realized something amiss um, when they cannot establish contact with anyone inside to be let in. They called in a security (laughs) director who, upon entering Uh the building with his keys, found nobody at the watch desk and called the police. The police then searched the building until they found the guards still tied in the basement.
1: Great. Oh, my gosh. This is so wild.
0: (sighs) Okay. So that was the heist. Crazy. Yes. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. But it's just like so methodical. And the point that I really wanted to point out was that when the, the thieves came in, they did not need to be guided to the basement they already knew where it was.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, so it's like, I see, that's what I love. They
1: like, did people, their homework.
0: Yes. I love when like people you see in the movies, they go in and they're just like, oh, I'm just a lowly patron. Blah blah blah. You know, I'm just like, yeah. I'm just touring the facilities, but
1: like they're casing no. it.
0: Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you really care, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. We're gonna go a little bit more in depth into the the big pieces of art that were stolen. Okay. Love it. Okay, so Justin, I'm going to tell you when to scroll down because I have I have two picture, two pictures of the the big big ones, and then I have like a more updated picture of what the museum looks like. Okay. 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 You ready? So all in total, thirteen works of art were stolen in 1990. The FBI estimated that the value of the hall was at 200 million, and then raised in 2000 to 500 million. So 21 years later, that could yeah. also have gone up. Wow. The most valuable works of art were taken from the Dutch Room. Among these was The Concert by Dutch painter Vermeer, who lived from 1632 Mm. to 75. And the reason it was so impressive is that it was one of only 34 paintings ever attributed to him. Wow, This painting alone accounts for half of the hall's value, estimated at $250 million in 2015. Yikes. Experts believe it had the most valuable. Oh, I'm sorry. Experts believe it may be the most valuable stolen object in the entire world. What? So I want you to scroll down and take a look at this painting. I don't get it. And that's me being someone who doesn't understand heart. $250 million for this piece of, this piece of artwork.
1: I mean, well, you know, it's from the 1600s. I get it. And he's only it's because it's exclusive. Yeah, it's like if they short print a Pokemon card. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I compare this to a short printed Pokemon card, which may inherently not have a whole lot of value. Like, I mean, it's just a card. It's probably worth like 20 cents. But because it's got a special design and it was short printed, it's worth like 200 bucks.
0: Exactly. And it means something to the people collecting it. Okay. I get it. I get art now. Fine.
1: All I had to do is explain Pokemon cards to you.
0: You explained it in something that I could understand. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: It's really nice. Yeah.
0: It's just... It's... Yeah. It's it's fine. Okay. All right. (laughs) Hannah, get off your hairs. Okay. In the same room. So again, Dutch room. The thieves targeted works by the Dutch painter Rembrandt, someone I've actually heard of before. Well, yeah. Um, These included the storm on the Sea of Galilee, his only seascape and the most valuable of his works stolen that night. So I have a picture of that down below if you want to scroll down a little bit. That one sounds really nice. It's gorgeous. Oh, this is
1: cool. Oh
0: my gosh, it's beautiful. So estimates have placed that this piece of art is worth about $140 million.
1: That one I get.
0: Isn't that beautiful? That's a
1: really cool piece of art.
0: Oh, my gosh. I, I love it. I that's love it so much.
1: gorgeous. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm definitely, I'm not trying to discredit all of the other, you know, works of art and all the other beautiful things that were done, yada, yada, yada. but these two paintings in particular out of the 13, like, as I most said, most
1: expensive, I mean,
0: yeah, between yeah. the two of them, we're looking at $390 million yeah. just from these two. two.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. It's
0: wild. Okay, so now what is really fantastic Mm -hmm. is I'm going to emphasize again that Isabella said you are not allowed to change anything in my museum. Yeah, And because of that, Justin, if you want to scroll down a little bit more, because the collection and its layout are permanent, the empty frames (sighs) remain hanging both in homage to the missing works and as placeholders for their hopeful return. So if you go to this museum now, you can still walk around the museum, but now only the frames remain of the 13 works of art that are, are missing.
1: It's like actually a little creepy. Yeah.
0: Isn't that cool though?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Okay, so I have a couple more things, but we're just going to talk about this before we get into the, the theories. Okay. So, again, as I mentioned, bizarrely, the bur- the burglars are tempted to remove the flag of Napoleon's imperial guard from its frame, but failed to do so, mm-hmm. instead settling for a bronze eagle-shaped fin- finial or ornament. Yeah. Stranger still, the perpetrators left possibly the most expensive work of art in the museum untouched. What is... T- titian's the rape of europa which was hanging i've on the th- heard of this yeah have you yeah heard that before, okay. yeah i'll have to look it up um which was still hanging on the third floor gallery so this is a quote from robert m Poole of the smithsonian what continues to perplex those investigating the Gardner mystery is that no single motive or pattern seems to emerge from the thousands of pages of evidence gathered over the past uh, past decades Were the words of art taken for love, money, ransom, glory, barter, or for some tangled combination of them all? Insane. All right. So, the FBI has named suspects in the crime, but the works remain missing. Okay. So, in 2013 the FBI the FBI announced that it had identified the two thieves with a quote unquote high degree of confidence. However, in 2015 the organization revealed the names of its primary suspects who at the time were George Reisfelder and L- Leonard Demuzio. Demuzio? Morning about Demuzio. Di, Great. Two, two associates of the late mobster Carmelo Merlino. Both resembled Police sketches of the criminals and died within one year of the heist. Oh, yep, that's
1: really weird
0: and unfortunate. For
1: yeah, leads. yeah,
0: the investigator investigators also said they expected the art was transported via organized crime networks to Connecticut and the Philadelphia region, where the thieves attempted to sell the works of art on the black market. After those attempted sales, however, the artwork's trail goes cold. Hmm. Authorities were initially suspicious of the two young guards on duty that night. Fair enough. Abbott, a self-described hippie and rock guitarist, was a regular on the night shift.
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: (laughs) Because our crimes of this nature typically require an inside source, he was high on the list of possible conspirators. Abbott, for his part, has long denied any role in the heist, and authorities have genuinely cleared him as a person of interest. Um, This is a quote from him. He said... I was just this hippie guy who wasn't hurting anything wasn't on anybody's radar. And the next day I woke up on everybody's radar for the largest art heist in history. He told NPR in, um, in 2015. (laughs) However, I, I like put a little asterisk by this when I was telling the story, Mm -hmm. a slight wrinkle occurred with Abbott's testimony because his role in the drama once became, once again became, came under scrutiny in 2015, when the United States attorney's office in Massachusetts released a rare security camera video from that night. Ooh. The grainy footage shows Abbott, who was on guard during the day of March 17th and 18th, opening the same side doors used by thieves and admitting an unidentified man in a waist length coat and upturned collar. Uh, overall, the museum security director, Anthony Amoir, told The Times, the video raises more questions than it has answers.
1: That's bizarre.
0: Yeah. So the day before yeah. the heist, he let an unknown man into the building Ew. through a security and employee only entrance.
1: Ew. I so don't that's like yucky. That. Yeah, I don't like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Quick turn of events here. In 1994, then museum director Anne Hawley received a anonymous letter from someone who claimed to be attempting to negotiate a return of the artwork. Oh, jeez. The writer explained that they were a third party negotiator and did not know the identity of the thieves. They explained that the artwork was, was stolen to was stolen to reduce a prison sentence. But as the opportunity had passed, there was no longer a motive to keep the artwork and they wanted to negotiate a return. The writer explained that the artwork was being held in a non common law country under climate controlled conditions. Finally, they desired immunity for themselves and all others involved, and a $2.6 million for the return of the artwork, which would be sent to an offshore bank account at the same time the art was handed over. Interesting. If the museum was interested in negotiating, they should print a coded message in the Boston Globe. (laughs) Fine. To establish credence, the writer conveyed information only known by the museum and the FBI at the time. Holly felt that this was a strong lead. She contacted the FBI, who then contacted the Globe, and the coded message was indeed printed in the paper on May 1st, 1994. Wow. Holly then received a second second letter a few days later in which a writer acknowledged the museum was interested in negotiating, but had become fearful of what they perceived was a massive investigation by federal and state authorities to determine their identity. The writer explained that they needed time to evaluate their options, But unfortunately, Holly never heard from the writer again. Oh,
1: come on.
0: Which is a bummer. Killing me. I know. The FBI believes that the robbery was planned by criminal organization. The case lacks strong physical evidence and the FBI has largely depended on interrogations, undercover informants, and sting operations to collect information. They focused primarily on the Boston Mafia, which was in the midst of an internal gang war during this period of the 90s. Okay. One theory is that gangster Bobby Donati um, organized it to negotiate for his capo's release from prison. Donati was murdered a year after the, mur- the robbery. Other accounts suggest the paintings were stolen by a gang in Dorchester, um, though they deny involvement even after a sting operation put some of them in prison. All have denied any knowledge or given leads that were fruitless despite being offered reward, or excuse me, being offered reward money, reduced prison sentences, immunity, and or even freedom if they given information leading to the recovery of the art.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, so that's it for that. Um, but really quickly, um, fictional accounts of the robbery and what occurred to the paintings were explored on several television shows, including Blind Splot, The Blacklist, Shameless, and even The Simpsons. <laughs> um, accounts uh, and this event has taken place throughout numerous novels. And in 20, October 2020, the BBC4 released a documentary about searching for the art titled The Billion Dollar Art Hunt and in april 2021 netflix netflix released an original four-part documentary series about the theft called this is a robbery the world's biggest art heist what yeah i've never heard of that
1: no we should watch it
0: Yeah. um lastly the museum is offering a 10 million dollar reward to anyone who provides information leading directly to a safe return of the stolen works. Individuals whose information leads to the restitution of some, but not all of the works will also receive a partial reward. Hmm. And lastly, anyone who helps return the Napoleonic Eagle uh, finale will receive a separate $100,000 reward.
1: Wow.
0: So, if you or anyone you know knows anything about the Isabella Stewart Gartner Museum heist and the location of the 13 priceless works of art, oh. please contact the Isabella Stewart Gartner Museum. Wow. And that is my story. Amazing. Ah! I had so much fun with that one.
1: That was really crazy.
0: So, to tie it back to why it's spooky. Mm, yes. I think art it's, culture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I blame ghosts. I think that the thieves were ghosts. Hey,
1: you know, <laughs> we can't discount that anything here, you know?
0: <laughs> the reason why I think it's spooky is because, again, it is an unsolved crime. And the fact that this was 31 years ago that this occurred, that's not that long ago.
1: No, that's surprisingly recent.
0: The fact that in boston that millions hundreds of millions of dollars of artwork was taken and they still have not been found from a
1: i have to assume a Uh world-renowned art museum
0: that is so wild yeah this just like screams you know like daredevil or you know like like you were saying before like oceans or you know just like i love crime (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a, that's a good you know what sound I mean? bite. Like... That's a good sound bite. It makes me think of like Persona or something. Yes.
0: Or like like Uncharted.
1: Yeah. Ah! It's pretty good.
0: I love it.
1: That was great. Thank wow. you.
0: I hope that you liked it. Thank you for listening to my story.
1: Wow, it was fun.
0: What? It's sort of spooky. It's not really spooky, but like it's sort of spooky, whatever. I
1: think spooky boy in a trench coat with a collar popped. <laughs>
0: and a fake mustache.
1: That was scary enough.
0: That was super scary.
1: Yeah, good job. Thank you. Um time again. Time again. Uh, it's so late. What's your recommendation? Wow, <laughs>
0: great segue there, my dude.
1: Recommendation station.
0: Oh, shoot. Um <laughs> Okay, you're going to laugh at me, but you know what? I don't even freaking get... Justin, do you see her?
1: No, I'm waiting for your uh, recommendations. Oh,
0: Justy. Okay, our baby Liddy, she's face-planting uh, into her bed as she do.
1: You did just say how late it was.
0: I know. Oh, she's so sleepy. Oh, my goodness. Okay, what I am going to recommend to you today is a song, actually, and it is called better days by dermot kennedy mm-hmm. i'm a huge fan of dermot kennedy he is going to be touring with um harry styles i think he's touring with harry styles Oh shoot i don't know anyway he's like really good Feels and the song
1: irrelevant but okay
0: okay but the song is really <laughs> lovely and it's it's a song that i honestly think can take me through this new year and it makes me really happy Nice, and that's my recommendation. Also, just Jessica Jones, but like that's cute. Oh, go ahead. Cop out. Oh, go.
1: So, better days
0: mm-hmm.
1: by Dermot Kennedy.
0: Got better days by Dermot Kennedy. He is an Eng- er, an English, <laughs> he's an Irish oh, singer songwriter. Nice, and he's really good.
1: Listen to it now.
0: Listen to it.
1: Dang it. All right. Well, mine, it's also going to be kind of a cop-out, but uh, we got a game the other day Did we? called What Do You Meme? No. No. What Do You Meme?
0: Oh, he's doing with Sean Mendez. Okay. Excuse me. What Do You this Meme? This is my recommendation. I'm sorry, baby.
1: So, it's called What Do You Meme, and it's very funny. Oh, my God. Um If you've ever played Cards Against Humanity, it's somewhat similar style. Mm. Um, But basically, you play with like three or more people, you set up a meme on a sexy easel. sexy easel. I think that's what it's called.
0: Oh yeah, I think that is what it's called. I just thought that was very creative of you.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Okay. You set up a meme on there, could be any meme from anything they're given to you, and you have to fit the best explanation as to why this meme fits mm, yeah and <laughs> so good. hilarity ensues it was really fun <laughs> oh, definitely would recommend playing that
0: we played it tonight with uh with our family members and we played the uh not safe for work like adult mature content one and it was perfect and for two people that i don't want to say grew up on Vine, but you know like we matured through vine great and you are the meme lord justin voss uh-huh. it's just these memes are classic like y- i have to imagine if you're someone who goes on the internet you're going to recognize these and to put captions to them is just it's so fun. fun yeah you cried i cried I, I snorted i didn't cry you laughed so hard that's what you mean what i, I meant i didn't cry really you're gonna be toxic yeah. yeah <laughs> You're toxic
1: masculine. Here I am. All right, All
0: let's right. wrap this boy up.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. It's time. It's so long. Time for bed. Well, stay safe.
0: Stay spooky. Happy Goodbye. 2022.
1: You did it again.
0: Goodbye. <sighs>